We're no stranger to a sports guest on this podcast, but there is one that we've never heard from before, and it might have something to do with the fact that before, around 2017, there was a lot less to talk about. I am, of course, referring to Formula One, whose social and digital presence is miles ahead of where it was five years ago. Now, here to tell us today how the brand is approaching social comms is Sam Barker, Senior Social Media Manager at F1. Yeah, that change that Eve mentioned there came in 2017 when Liberty took the reins of F1 and changed it into a whole completely different beast into what it is today. Now, speaking to Sam, we covered loads from F1's official fees to teams to drivers, even fans and their fandom. We also covered how to take advantage on social of a massive boom in audience, how to get the perfect balance between entertainment and education, and why passion is the key, but it's also hard to measure. Sam, welcome to Social Minds. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'm uh, really excited to chat with you guys. Likewise. Now, what we want to know is how do you communicate the excitement of an F1 race to a casual fan? Formula One is an amazing sport. There's a lot going on and there's there's so many stories to tell. And I think that at the heart of it, communicating the excitement to, to casual fans or to fans of, of all levels, it's no secret. It comes back to that. Uh, fundamental storytelling and how you use the different platforms and the different tools you've got and the different assets you've got at your disposal to do the best job of that. Everybody loves a relatable human story. They love sporting stories. So I think that at Formula One, our kind of mission is to tell those stories to fans from a social perspective and really deepen their engagement with the sport, um, whatever level they may be at. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there, Sam. I mean, I was a casual. I've kind of turned in. I don't want to say hardcore, but I've I've been converted. <laughs> so whatever you're doing is working. I think. I mean, one of the main things I think for a lot of people was the the Netflix doc, right? So Drive to Survive that kind of helped. But I think that was only one part of the journey, and then you've had to take that and 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 run with it and and kind of maximise all these new audiences. And I would I definitely say that F1 on social is very present now especially on my feed I mean I'm seeing it absolutely everywhere and I guess with that you know the sport is constantly evolving you know whether that be on track or off track so on track you know you've got the power unit changes you've got these new circuits around the world and got Vegas that's coming which is going to be ridiculously good you know the innovation's crazy in the sport right now but what attitude change had to happen internally for your online comms to match that innovation that happened offline it's a great question and all the points that you raise all all very true. We're very fortunate to be in a position that we are and have this uh, sort of swell of new new fans coming on board. I think to kind of wind it back a couple of steps in terms of attitude changes, you look at Formula One as a business and its origins. It's new to a lot of people, but at the core, um, it is quite an old business or it's an old category and it's got a lot of a lot of history behind it. So let's look at the two most recent um, eras from a business perspective, let's say, we have the Bernie Eccleston uh, leadership and management. Bernie will be a familiar name to, to many people. The business that he built up, the fundamentals of that business were amazing. The business model is amazing, how it worked in terms of the relationships that were built with, with different promoters in different parts of the world and broadcasters uh, and, and partners as well. It's a very strong business model. Uh, I think over time, as the media landscape changed and uh, consumption of media changed, 
there may be a few parts of the mindset that maybe didn't quite come along in the same way into a modern era. I think that's pretty well documented, you know, Formula One not being on social media, uh, not being as present in digital media as it could have been during that management phase. And then we come to sort of a watershed moment, I guess, when the, the ownership of the business was taken by Liberty Media and American an American media and entertainment company. And Liberty identified that opportunity to really uh, take that very strong business model and open it up to a new bunch of audiences and a new bunch of fans and people all around the world. And the things that they started to implement, such as the Drive to Survive documentary, um, the approach on social media, the refreshing of the brand and how the brand looked and felt and what it sort of, what it stood for. I think that was kind of the key attitude change. It was really that injection of a different mindset that came from uh, an American media company really let F1 unlock its sort of next level of growth and social uh, was a very important part of that. So the business from that sort of social perspective, it was really far behind all of the other rights holders and competitors that that we sort of look at in that rights holder space. So, so the Premier League, Champions League, all the American mm-hmm. major sports, NBA, MLB, NFL, they've been you know, growing their audiences on these platforms for some time, but yeah. F1 had a uh, relatively standing standing start. So it's almost been a, a bit of a perfect storm, let's say, of that drive to survive kind of impact, the brand refreshing, uh, the injection of new ideas and new energy, the digital approach as well, and the change in mindset there, and all of that has culminated in this amazing audience growth. And leaves us where we are today. Definitely. And I want to talk a little bit about that digital approach. So you talk about media. Now, obviously, there's like F1 podcasts, there's apps, there's a streaming platform. So fans can actually tune into F1 wherever and however they want. But on social specifically, how have you guys integrated social with that wider media mix? You know, how does one help the other um, or vice versa? Yeah, I think if you look at, think about it in say a traditional marketing funnel sense where you're sort of raising awareness at the top and you're working through to conversion and sort of loyalty in terms of a, a customer, or in our case, a fan at the bottom. Social really services a lot of different parts of that. One of the primary successes we've sort of had on social is uh, it's been an amazing discoverability, I guess that's the word, mm. tool where you have people who are seeing the content that we're producing and they're using it to sort of take their early steps into F1 on their journey to becoming a fan or deepening their their fan engagement. So it may be something where, as an example, we've had you know someone consume the the Netflix Drive to Survive series. They've then seen posts that have been you know shared by their friends and that kind of thing on social. And it serves a number of different levels of that um of that funnel. As far as how social sort of fits in with everything else that we do at F1. We use social to obviously engage fans, but also, I guess, surface the other things that we're doing in the business. So uh, if we look at, let's take uh, our podcast as an example, we've got three great podcasts that we're producing at the moment, Beyond the Grid, which is sort of deep storytelling um, with an individual who's had a, uh, a very rich experience in the sport over a number of years. We've got F1 Nation, which is a bit more of a magazine type of show where people are reacting to things that have happened on a weekend or looking at things that are coming up. And then we've got Formula Y, which is a very much explainer podcast of, you know, somebody who's trying to get to grips with F1 and podcast is their medium of choice. We have those kind of podcasts. But then when we look at that from a social point of view, 
we will take those podcasts and go, okay, so how do, how do we best surface these podcasts using social channels? And I think it's just about being fit for platform, isn't it? So we could go and uh, take these podcasts and run them in full everywhere, but we try and have a very fit for platform approach where we'll cut out snippets to promote what we're doing, what we're doing on certain podcasts. I think that kind of philosophy of what I've just explained on podcasts of taking something, making it fit for platform or fit for the channel that we're going to publish on. That's the mantra that we carry across everything that we do and sort of every owned product that we surface. So at the core of it, we put the audience and the platform first. So what would a user on that platform want to see? And then think, okay, what stories do we have to tell? Or what messaging are we trying to get across? How can we best surface it, surface it there? Yeah, that completely makes sense. And look, social is all about entertainment, right? So I, th- I think that's rule number one on social, entertainment first. And then that's probably alongside strengthening that digital connection with your fans or your followers, whatever that may be on social. So I guess what I'd like to ask is what's the secret behind keeping the fans entertained? But then also, as you mentioned there, you know, you've got three pods based on the different levels of the intricacies of the sport. How do you keep them entertained, but then educate fans at the same time? Because for beginners, it can be quite a complicated sport to understand with the intricacies. Yeah, it is. I think the point you made about entertainment is a really pertinent one. At the end of the day, the platforms themselves, they will reward and um, I guess provide further visibility reach and discoverability to things that are, that are entertaining so yep. at the core of it if we we need to show our sport in the best uh, in the best light that we can and make it as entertaining as we can and let's be honest in the same way that not every football match is exciting sometimes you can have f1 races which are a bit quieter as well but there's another I guess layer to Formula One where it's got a unique USP where you have the broadcast which a lot of people will can consume uh, that sort of follows the race for the 90 minutes that it happens or two hours that it happens and then the race stops and there's the storytelling then continues on digital and when you watch a Formula One race you're sort of seeing a part of it but there's things going on all over the track that mm. are not always visible um, in the broadcast product the broadcast product itself is amazing and does a great job of telling stories, but uh, unlike a ball sport where the camera sort of follows the ball, you can have things happening, you know, a battle up in first and second. You can go and then have battles happening throughout the field. You can have something happening in the pit lane. Lots of things can be going on at once. So in terms of like engaging fans and keeping them interested, that USP of going and telling a story about something that's not immediately visible is quite unique for F1. But back to your point around how do you do it on different levels? How do you engage someone who's seen every race, you know, for the last 30 years versus someone who's just come in from Drive to Survive? Uh, We're very cognizant and aware that we need to cater to all of those audiences, um, particularly the newer fans that have come in. So we produce, in short, we produce a lot of content at a lot of different levels. So there's technical content, which we produce. So, you know, we do longer form video features that uh, explain how aerodynamics might work. And that's really interesting to kind of those more, I guess, novices. Eve. Novices <laughs> like me. No, Eve, seriously. Eve's been watching I'm glad some. you mentioned that. I want yeah. to build on that point, actually, because as quite an objective party, it was saying before we sat down, I think the most 
opportunity I've ever sort of given myself to learn about F1 was when I was researching these questions to ask you. And I'd agree with what Kyle said. I think for beginners, it can be a complex sport. Like even like the, some of the terminology or like jargon, like Cal, Cal said, I have to ask this question because he doesn't want to ask you what downforce means. <laughs> I was like, don't worry, I'll do that. But terms like downforce, hot lap, apex, I was reading and I'm sort of trying to look at the F1 dictionary whilst I'm researching. So like with people like me in mind, so not even the casual fan, right, a novice, is one of your objectives to simplify the experience for people like me and actually bring in new fans who are, you know, maybe fans of other sports, but not F1. Or do you tend to focus more on sort of people that you know are kind of in your your loop already? So we absolutely have a focus on making sure that new fans that have come into the sport or are earlier in their journey towards becoming a really engaged F1 fan, it's really important to us that we produce content that makes them feel welcomed into the sport and sort of deepens their, deepens their understanding. At the same time, we do have a we're kind of uniquely positioned where we have a, a wide band of understanding within our fan base. The sport can be quite complex and we don't cater to one end rather than the other. We mm-hmm. just want to do good storytelling that that, um, that the entire fan base will enjoy and produce yeah. lots of different pieces which will cater to them. So we want to get you engaged and interested with something that requires a lower level or no level of F1 knowledge. And that could be, I don't know, Lando Norris singing a song on his on his radio as he's driving around which he did a couple of years ago but we also we know that that's a bit of an entry point to you then going okay well what's next for me i might watch some race highlights okay what's next for me that this race was interesting uh here's a reactive piece of content that we pulled out of that race what's next for me okay i want to go and learn something technical we've got technical pieces of content that we produce on social and on our website or I might pick up one of those podcasts I was referring to before. So it's really making sure that at every step of the way, we've got something for every fan so that you don't feel alienated or your journey gets sort of lost at some point. It's such a good point um, because it's a hard thing to to balance. As you said, you don't want to put out a piece of content that's like explaining what different things are. If you've or, you know you've also got really clued up hardcore yeah, fans watching difficult. and be like, why are you patronising us and pandering to us? But I think you you hit on something there. Whereas if you engage sort of anyone with that universal story or like a powerful piece of content um, that can move you enough to perhaps yeah go out and look for yourself and you know educate yourself a bit and say, I now I'm interested i want to go and learn more about this um so they sort of can fill in those like beginner stages for you i guess yeah and i think part of the challenge is uh, making sure that the right piece of content hits the right people at the right time as well i know that sounds like a bit of a cliche but particularly at f1 where that band of understanding is so wide you need to make sure that uh, we're not servicing something to you which you already know or is is just way too far down you know, a technical path that you may not be interested in. Um, so it's really trying to identify who are the audiences that we're going for, what are we producing for them, and how are we making sure that that content gets in front of them at the right time. And looking at audiences, you know, it's all good and well engaging audiences, but ultimately there's got to be an end goal, right? And usually that's conversion. So, I mean, however that is for you in terms of, like, I presume that is then downloading a podcast or paying for the app or whatever it may be. But the main thing for me that converts 
sports fans especially on social to doing something whether that be watching or playing or whatever it is is passion, passion. i think passion has to come across in sport <laughs> he's laughing it's the way you said it with passion I, i'm passionate passion. about this question <laughs> so but my question here really is if passion makes the difference between a customer and a fan how do you then incite that and then how do you measure it? Because I'm not sure there's a tool for measuring Measuring passion. and bottling passion. Yeah. But if you could. Can you measure passion? How do you measure passion on F1? The people want to know. It's a great question, isn't it? Measuring passion is, uh, is a difficult thing to do because it has that intangible element to it. I think understanding, it's almost like understanding what the passion is and what will keep driving that along is where we try to kind of put our focus. So to turn that into... A real world example we know that drivers and their personalities off the track disconnected from the racing if you look at it from a very simple like numbers point of view people are interested in that and if we take that as a proxy for passion going and surfacing more of that in theory to kind of come back to how do you measure measure passion is like that's one way you could you could do it i was going to ask actually so i, mean, I don't know if you can give an answer to this just for i guess it's not biased but from your analytics is there a team or a driver you think people are most passionate for that i always think mclaren fans are pretty pretty hardcore but i don't know if you've got any insights there sam i think if you look at the various platforms that the teams operate and the drivers followings themselves you can get a bit of a feel for where popularity lies and which drivers or teams may have bigger audience and and reach than than others but one of the things that i love about social is and particularly the way it's sort of moving to a i guess to use the example of tiktok a like for you algorithmically driven approach is the size of your audience doesn't necessarily dictate how successful you will or won't be yeah. It's not the only factor anymore. So if you've got a great story to tell, you can turn that into a TikTok and have an enormous amount of reach basically straight away. I think when you then apply that into a sporting world, Gutterstein is a great example. Haas don't have the biggest footprint compared to some other teams, but I know that some of their output it gets amazing results because they've got an amazing story lying underneath the surface there yeah. with Gunter and who he is and everything that's happened with Netflix. And they do a good job of surfacing that. And they do a good job of storytelling uh, when things happen within their team as well. And I sort of pick out Hass because of the Gunter example you just gave, but all of the teams themselves, they all have their moments and um, opportunities and events that they turn into stories. So the follower number, to come back to the original question of which one's the biggest, you can kind of go and look at that and then sort of find yeah. out. But the, the part I enjoy is it's sort of becoming, it feels like it's becoming a bit less relevant um, mm. because it's about how well you can tell the story. Obviously, you've got to have a bit of uh, audience size and scale to, um, to kind of tell the first group of people what you're doing, but um, the story will always, will always win. It's interesting to me where you just said McLaren fans are a bit. Is it like? Does it work the way it works for like football teams? You like Leeds yeah, fans are mental. Yeah, you does have it, a is team. it the same? Yeah, they call them like the the papaya something. Is it some yeah, no. papaya like yeah. yeah? So like the kind of yeah. You, I think it's like team fandom. Hmm. Team fandom still. Yeah, it's definitely. I think. Say, so I'm learning things. Yeah. You're turning me into a fan right now via podcast. Yeah, the fandom point. Um, sort of the passion that people have for teams as well that's something we've seen a lot of growth in and i think that's mm. come from teams are doing a great job of 
telling what's going on uh, inside inside their organizations with their drivers better than they ever have before um and that's really i guess unlocked the ability for fans to lean in a bit more um consume more content understand the team and build that relationship uh, i think that's been a real uh, remarkable point over the last couple of years since things have opened up a little bit in terms of the content they've produced and mclaren great example the fandom that they've got is um is is amazing yeah i agree now one thing uh, i wanted to bring up because i've got a mate and he is uh, <laughs> surprised yeah he's <laughs> <laughs> got a mate and he's obsessed with data like the biggest data nerd ever right and, and the- f1 must be the best sport for data and i think outside of you know you mentioned before everything that happens in the race is one element of it but they can kind of go after it and you can analyze absolutely everything i mean the the data on offer from the cars the drivers the tires absolutely everything is nuts right insane amount of data that crossed with those bts stories that you don't necessarily see on track how do you take that and turn it into sort of like off track stories that may get more fan engagement than the race itself because we haven't seen this in real time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's a great point. F1, incredibly data-rich sport. I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but the amount of data that the cars themselves will generate uh, just from a 60-minute practice session on track is like well into the gigabytes. I'm not even going to pretend to have a guess at, at that, but... The amount of data is is unbelievable, really. And the teams um, obviously have access to all of that. Um, but F1 as a company um, has put a lot of investment into the infrastructure and the systems that kind of facilitate all of this and, and help it all happen. So uh, from where we sit as the rights holder, there's great information that we have access to. To your point around what do you do with it? How do you use it to sort of further the fandom and the understanding of what's going on? It's, it's no secret that Red Bull and Max Verstappen are doing super well this year. They've built a phenomenal car. Uh, they're doing a great job with it. But when you kind of look at, say, uh, let's pick the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix weekend, and if you were just to look through the timesheets and say, okay, Max is doing quite well, it may look like he's going to sort of win the race or form would dictate that he's doing well. He may, he may win the race this weekend. When we came out of the third practice session, there was some data that was available to us that said, okay, Max is quick, but Fernando Alonso, who is a fan favorite for many, for many years back, mm-hmm. been in the sport for a long time. When you look at Max's fastest lap in that session and Fernando's, there's parts of the track where Fernando is quicker. And that story got sort of surfaced in the broadcast feed a little bit, but then on social, what we did is we, we took that, all of those systems that I sort of spoke about and all the data and we produced some graphics, I think a couple of hours after the session, where basically a track map visualizing where Max was quicker and where Fernando was quicker, and then would release that in the build-up to qualifying to build that anticipation of like, it's not a foregone conclusion here, guys, like we could, we could see something. Uh, and then the next layer beyond that, as the rights holder having access to onboards from the cars, all of a sudden you're looking at a super engaging Instagram post, which is talking about the fight at the front of the grid. So great sporting mm-hmm. narrative story in there. But you're looking at data. So you've got kind of bits highlighted who's fast and who's not. And then you swipe across an Insta carousel and you've got the two laps compared side by side. Mm-hmm. So say like even your example of being a more novice fan, 
you should be able to look at something like that on, on our platforms and go, okay, I kind of understand what I'm looking at here uh, because it's been something which is uh, seemingly quite inherent and technical and hard to get your head around has been visualized really, really simply. So I think um, doing little things like that, unlocking those hidden stories and turning them into bits of content, which are very easily consumable, that's the stuff we love doing. Yeah, really good example. And I know at the beginning, sort of when we were asking like how you've moved from being like not very present on social at all to now just knocking it out of the park. One thing that really sprung to mind uh, when I was having a look through your content is I know until recently the drivers weren't allowed to be on social or interact with fans outside of those approved channels, right? And so do you think that maybe sort of stunted the opportunity for social success? And then sort of since then, how has that changed or how big of a factor do you think that's been for like the landscape for you guys now being able to use drivers like that? The teams of drivers had their own channels. It was more the rules of engagement with yeah. Formula One events and footage and, and that kind of thing, that that's the part that's evolved. So I think the mindset change in how should digital be approached, how should digital really work in, a, in an F1 context. So when Liberty Media took over in 2017, there was a lot of conversation, a lot of discussion around how do we bring on all this digital activity and also how do we do that respectfully with our broadcasters who are massively important to Formula One. They do a phenomenal job of telling the sport in markets all over the world. So how do we make it a, a positive experience for all of those stakeholders involved? How do we grow the team's footprint and introduce the opportunity for them to create the fandom that we spoke about before, like you mentioned, Carl, with, um, with McLaren? Yeah. How do we do that to the benefit of broadcasters so it raises awareness that Formula One is on and that benefits their programming? And how does it interface commercially as well? And effectively, there's, like most other sports, there's guidelines for what the teams can and can't do sort of with respect to our events. And uh, those guidelines enable teams to do a lot of, yeah, good storytelling in and around uh, the events that we run. There's a lot of opportunities where we'll collab with teams and basically we have a very open dialogue with them we know that working together within the kind of bounds of various media rights agreements will that will help everyone so uh, it's a very collaborative experience but kind of like i was saying before a lot of the team storytelling happens away from track as well so they've got their factories they've got their i guess different initiatives and programs that they have so uh, it's not all about the circuit itself for them don't know if that kind of answers the question. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, some of F1's best content, I think, is happening on YouTube. And it is those videos that sort of let you show drivers' personalities and, you know, because people respond to people, right? So I think it's nice to be able to hear, you know, what they like, what their other interests are, how they interact with each other. It's nice to see, you know, the, the real people behind the cars instead of just seeing them as like rich guys driving around in, in fast cars. But I mean, like with that as well, I want to know what other content types or what content types generally have been high performers for you? So is it that behind the scenes accent? You know, is it the driver's seat point of views? There's a lot of different types of content that we produce. I think if you were looking at it on a outright most viewed ranking at that way, the track content and the race highlights uh, are a fundamental part of of our viewership and make up a large chunk of i guess our engagement on on youtube but then you sort of take take that away and 
when you look at what's left behind. But there's a lot of listicle content there, so top tens. Very social friendly stuff, that isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's right. It's that age old comment I keep making around like fit for platform. Uh, mm. Are you doing what the audience on this platform wants? So there's a lot of listicle content there, but even the themes within that listicle content, a lot of those are driver personality driven. So you look at some of the better performing ones, it might be top 10 press conference moments and they're always going to be funny yeah. things where press conferences have gone a bit off piste or whatever it might be. So like their version of bloopers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, But I guess taking away top 10s because that's a bit of a simplistic answer, driver personality features where you let them not necessarily just, you know, be funny. Humor is always going to be, a, you know, something that gets people engaged, but let them tell a deeper story that is, you know, has some meaning or sentiment to them. Anything where they can sort of surface who they are uh, is is really popular. And mm. I think the reason for that is drawing back into that. I don't want to sort of paint drive to survivors as, as everything, but uh, as a relatable point to, to most people, they saw a lot of driver personality in drive to survive and anything that kind of carries on with that, we found to be, to be quite popular. But at the same time, I also don't want to discredit things that, are not driver personality either, like our tech series and what we mm. do to break F1 down. There's some great informative and explainer content that we produced over the years, which is really high performing as well. So uh, it's such a wide audience. There's so many different needs that as long as you're producing something great for a, a chunk of the audience to enjoy, it, it will perform. Exactly. It's about serving like different purposes, isn't it? I feel like with the personality stuff, hearing their story lets you really root for them and then you want to watch how they do because you're kind of itching for them to win and do well. But yeah, as you said, with the technical stuff, it's important to have that education piece as well. Yeah, it's a really it's a really wide audience, but it, the driver stories and the human stories and to your point around knowing who to root for and seeing something and identifying with the driver, that's really important. And it's not F1, but if we look at our our new feeder category we've just established called F1 Academy, which is for women only, uh, and it's sort of, it serves as a training ground for young female drivers to basically get a lot of track time, learn a lot about the craft of being a race driver and everything that goes with it, both on and off track. That's a category at the moment which is in its it's had two races, but some of the results we've seen on social through surfacing those stories of the girl who broke her arm and 75 days later she won her first race or the girl from the Philippines who motorsport is not very I would say popular sport there but she won a race and the president of the Philippines tweeted her all of these little uh, human stories that pop up they really do give you someone to root for so it's important that we keep keep doing things like that. I mean, I could talk with you all day, really, about F1, the sport, what you're doing on social. We do have to wrap it up. So I've got one more question. And it was more surrounding, obviously, your activity on social, but then how you integrate yourselves with teams and the drivers and whether you have any uh, any flexibility to do that, whether you have any input on their content at all. So how do the official channels of F1 work alongside the drivers and the team's content? Because, you know, for example, you've got Aston Martin with Fernando Alonso, who's like their hero on TikTok. He's doing all Aston sorts. Aston Martin's got a really good TikTok. Really good. And they then you've do. got like Lando's gaming channel, etc. So do you have any, uh, not consultancy, but do you kind of work alongside them quite closely or not? We do and we don't. I would say that they are, in, like from a structural point of view, they are independent organizations that have their own plans, their own people, their own resources to do these things. But 
as a company and as F1 Digital and Social, let's call it, we're very supportive of what they're doing and where we can assist or, or help. We'll lean in and do that. So in terms of what that looks like, quite often teams will produce features which requires archive footage and we've got mm-hmm. that relationship with sort of our media rights partners that we can facilitate a little bit of footage for them to better tell their story. There'll be times where they don't really need assistance in that way. Um, they'll be producing something which doesn't require it and they do that sort of on their own. But they'll always come back and surface, you know, this is what we're doing. Would you want to support it? Quite often, uh, good content is good content, right? So if you've got uh, a team producing something funny and they want to collab it with us on yeah. Instagram or we might retweet no something, that sort of stuff happens all the time. So it's a... Uh, like to kind of sum it up, the relationship between F1 sort of digital output and the team's digital output is a very collaborative process. I've got 10 WhatsApp groups that go off Ten. regularly. <laughs> 10 teams, 10 <laughs> WhatsApp groups. So uh, from a practical point of view, it works. But um, yeah, it's it's incredibly way of working yeah. with them. Obviously, the teams, everyone wants to do more and have more access to everything, but um, sort of keeping it in balance so that all the stakeholders are kind of happy is uh, is important as well so i mean these days you can just do like a, a tiktok duet or a stitch like it's it's very easy isn't it you can do more than a retweet and the opportunities are just waiting to be taken yeah definitely definitely well i think that feels like as good a place as any to end i know we do have to wrap up even though we could chat about this all day as carl said but i just want to thank you again sam for coming on and speaking to us hopefully everyone uh, really enjoyed this one Thanks very much. It was great. And hopefully we can do it again sometime soon. Eve, I love it when Mike brings us sports guests. I feel in my element and I I quite like seeing you crawl a little bit as well. (laughs) (laughs) But I really enjoyed that. I mean, F1 as a product, honestly, in sport right now is... Is, is up there with the very, very best. It is a completely different beast to what it was five years ago. The amount of change that Liberty have brought in, as Sam mentioned, is crazy. And, and to discuss that within there was great. And just how, how they manage that on social, you know, it, it has gone through so much change. I think Netflix was a genius move that's got a lot of casual sort of fans now converted to real solid fans of F1. I'd put myself in that category. And how they've taken those fans and engaged those whilst keeping up with that sort of educating they've done a really good job on it i have to say for a sport i don't know if this is like just me looking at my own circle and saying this applies to everyone but i I have found that f1 has a really wide range of fans like people i know who i wouldn't expect to be like they're not sporty people they don't really like football people love f1 and there's a point on that passion like I'm surprised they can find any casual fans to begin yeah. with uh, because it does just seem like once you're in it, you're really in it. I was speaking to a, a mate about F1 the other day, actually, and I think the main thing is it's such a positive sport. Yeah. Um, now, there are... Hashtag no hate. Well, there are, like, rivalries. And it does get pretty te- like tense behind the scenes, but when you're watching a race, it's just you watching the race and there's no sort of, like, football can get, um, you know, other sports yeah. can get quite negative at times. But I feel like the right, the, like, kind of ridden that wave is just such a good product. And, you know, looking at the products that they've got, they seem to be just putting out so much content, right? Yeah. You, know, you and I have done the research for they this They come part, from zero to 100. so much. <laughs> so you did that. No, literally they have. <laughs> but they've just got so much out there. But it's not just you know, quantity, it is real quality yeah. as well from the pods to the streaming service, everything 
I mean, the rebrand was amazing, but everything just looks fantastic and sounds great. Do you know what I found? You talk about when we were researching for the questions. Can we talk about the neck thing? Apparently an F1 driver's head weighs the yeah. same as a 12-year-old. <laughs> Honestly, the G-force in the neck, you think how fast they're going, right? 300 yeah. miles an hour. The G-force on the neck and then what they have to put their neck through is mental. They yeah, should the do a whole like, new like, content franchise on YouTube all about this. Right, well, that's taking a bit of a turn <laughs> and our little wrap-up of <laughs> F1 socials. But anyway, hope you really enjoyed that. If you've not you watched an F1 race, you maybe don't even have to do that. Get into so, uh, F1 socials and have a look. Like, like Sam said, you know they cover all the behind-the-scenes stuff. They cover all the bits of data that's kind of weird and quite wacky and, and these sort of storylines that maybe aren't available to people who are watching it on the television it's a really really engaging feed and one that if you haven't checked out have a look 